This is the Future of Work, an original series from Better Product. I'm Megan, here to give you a quick snapshot into our latest installment. But before we jump in, if you want to get connected to other product experts, join our community, betterproduct.community. So today, we're talking to Chris Byers, the CEO of Formstack, and the way Chris describes what they do and how they work wasn't really as well-known when Formstack started 15 years ago. Even the future of work as a capital F has only really gained traction in the past few years, so they've been talking about it that entire time. They're a distributed team, like I mentioned, with a remote-first culture before companies were forced to do anything like that. So they've really been focused on building that culture remotely from the beginning, and I think they have a lot to, to teach companies today, which is why we asked Chris to come on the show. He's been a thought leader in the tech space, growing his company while also continuing to evolve and without changing who they fundamentally are as a team. We have always said, you know what, we really think that there are a lot of people in organizations that if you gave them a piece of paper and the problem, they'd scratch out for you exactly how to solve it. They just don't know how to put that into, say, technology or software. And so where you can en enable them with products that help them get that job done. I mean, this, the DIY world that we live in is, I mean, we all love it. We love to go build things, we go buy things at Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever. We feel this power when we get to build our own solutions. And so that's effectively what we've always been doing. But yeah, the, the belief that that is a very normal part of business is, is a new trend that we're seeing, which I think is wonderful. And then I'd say early on, we kind of had another happy accident of embracing remote work way back in 2012 when video technology was there, but not nearly as powerful as it is today. Chat technology was pretty terrible. And so we've had some cool opportunities to be on the kind of the bleeding edge, I suppose, of, of a number of uh, those spaces. It's almost like Formstack was in some ways made for where companies and where work is headed today. So how did the impact of 2020 shift virtual work for them? Here's Chris. You know, we really did have to evolve because if you think about, you know, still there were core problems that we would solve in person. So we would have those quarterly kind of meetups for maybe your team or, you know, a group of managers or whatever. And so we were used to, when you get to those more difficult strategic problems, get together. Like that's a, that's a thing. And so going, what is, call it a year without that uh, became a really big challenge. And so we had to think differently about how we approach those kind of things. And then oddly enough, even though we were remote, I think we all felt the, the kind of Zoom tax just as bad as everybody else. It wasn't, that felt new. Like we, we've always been very, very video heavy. But for some reason, and maybe it's because none of us got to get out and, and have those balanced moments where we get out and do normal things like everybody else. And so those things each required us to say, all right, how do we still engage our team and still provide some space to be able to be like, how do I learn to collaborate even more remotely? Because it's, it's important. And as we go forward, I think it will be vital for everybody to continue to learn. That clip was teed up for you because it touches on what this series is all about. So yes, the future of work, but specifically how products have adapted to meet the demands of hybrid work. So as you listen, pay attention to how Chris and Christian talk about Formstack as well as the other products we're featuring exclusively in the series. So Asana, Around, Remotion, and Pitch. And if you're interested in more content on the topic, Formstack's podcast Ripple Effect is running a sub-series on their feed all about the future of work. You can find a link in our show notes or, of course, in the podcast apps. Leading into some of the products that we cover on this Future of Work series, the, the two that really come to mind for me are Around and Remotion, which are two video chat apps. One of the things I love about both of them is different from Zoom, not trying to 
to just zoom it all is a kind of get out of the way to let you do the work that you're meant to do and don't become the thing in and of itself. And, and I love some of the approaches they're trying to take because I think we've all experienced that whole thing where, okay, I'm, I've, I've got to live behind the camera. And because I'm, I see people on the other side, I feel this pressure to stare at the camera basically for an hours at a time. And we know that brain tax just is, is tough. So I love that idea of really saying, how can we, yep, yep you've got your, your video living on your screen, but we know that you're actually trying to do work together or maybe even wanting to do some collaborative work together. Let's figure out ways to do that. I think we even saw uh, Google try to figure out uh, or, or kind of announce this past week or so embedding video into Google Docs so that you can all of a sudden have this flow of really I'm focused on the, the work moment, the collaborative work moment less I need to stare somebody down. Uh, you know, funny enough, I've even found this thing lately where I'll actually ignore the video because I'm like, I know I'm in frame. Like I've worked on that enough that I'm I'm generally in frame. I'll actually often focus on maybe the the document we're talking about or whatever. You don't have to stare at the video just like you you know you thought you needed to. Uh, so I love that you know arounds kind of concept of how do we embed you as a part of the the screen or whatever. I think there's some innovative approaches out there. Yeah, we started using around immediately because their technology allowed us to have multiple people in person and get rid of the echo and having people remotely. So there's like the technology switch was great. What I love about Remotion too, along those lines was they're out of the way. And I, when in, in that episode, when I, when I talked to Alexander, one of the co-founders, we talk about the idea that Zoom is like the stage that you like get up on. And if you actually take, if you go backwards from like these digital worlds and think of the physical world, it makes sense because, you know, you have an office setting. There's like the boardroom, like the giant conference room where you go for like the important meetings. Then you have the breakout room. Then you just have like the open area where you're just riffing. It feels to me like the future of work has to get better at having those different concepts rather than just the stage, which is kind of what Zoom has become. It's like the stage that everything is on. And now there's a new tools that are like really towards the future, which is really just better, I think, emulating what's more natural in the way we would do work, like, I guess, in person. The stage is a great way to say it. I, I was a part of, we did our annual event that normally we would do in person just about a couple of weeks ago, all all on, online. So we pre-recorded some of it, then we had some live video moments. But at the end of the week, I I am an introvert, so at the end of the day, too much time with people will drain me. But I, I had this moment where I was like, I am just toast at the end of the week, and I literally went and laid on the floor. <laughs> and I, I was like, I don't understand why this is happening. And somebody reminded me of my introvertedness, and I was like, yeah, but why does that matter? We're not actually together. Uh, but it, it is that stage moment of, you know, when you're on video, you're like, I have to be on. Whereas when I'm in the conference room, I can feel like, okay, let me throw my feet up on the desk or something. And, and people aren't bothered by that, but you, you all of a sudden don't feel that comfort level. So I think you're right. That ability to find ways to say, hey, this is a moment in time where it is the casual moment. So maybe have the video on just so you can chat with people, but we don't care if you're laying on the floor or whatever, just let it be a casual moment or, or ways to kind of engage in regular conversation. You're totally right. I, I, I have found myself so drained from just talking at my screen all day long for the same reason. One of the other aspects of work, so getting away from the video side, I think there's this hybrid side that sort of has to get affected. One thing I don't, I don't want to gloss over either that I think that you're really in a good position to sort of speak on is 
the idea of work being fairly generalized and how do you build a product for it? So let me clarify what I mean there real quick. So I talked to Paige Costello, who oversees you know, a product at Asana. And what I think is similar about Asana to Formstack is that you're a background tool that helps you manage things or do things that isn't the tool itself. So I, I'll just say like you have data collection, you have forms on Formstack that's really meant to serve a higher purpose that you're trying to achieve, sort of automate things. Asana, a project management tool that has allowed you to go do whatever the work it is. But when I talked to her, I was hitting on this idea that how do you build a tool that's that agnostic or that overarching? You know, Formstack is used by so many different types of companies. Asana is also used by those different types of companies. So how do you take a generic concept like work and actually build products to support it when you just don't even know there's no one size fits all approach to it? I think the at, at the core of so many products, for instance, are forms. At the end of the day, you've, you've buried a form somewhere in almost every product that you've generated. But you know what it speaks to is, is uh, it's this idea that there are, I mean, li literally, let's go to construction for a minute. If I stick a form in the ground, it's the way that I build a foundation for a house. And so you know, for us, I think what we think about is just like, what are the obvious things in every day that are irritating and take up time and, and we should kind of get rid of. And so that ends up turning into a use case. So I'll give you a good example of a use case that comes to mind that we all can't stand. And it's going to the DMV, the BMV, the, you know, going to do that paperwork to get your driver's license renewed or whatever, very inefficient. I'll give some props to Indiana. They've actually done some great job in innovating there. And I'm actually glad you did real quick because I people badmouth, but I'm like, they've actually done some pretty good work. So yeah, I, I would agree. Sorry, continue. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Indiana actually is a decent place to get all that done. But if you think about it, it's really just trying to generify everything that happens in that moment. Okay, I'm going to bring some paperwork in. So how do I emulate that experience, I suppose, in uh, via software? And, and I think if you start to think about it as it's more about, okay, how do I ingest a little bit of data collection? How do I take that and turn it into something official in a document that a government's going to be okay with? Well, if you do that without getting overly focused on that particular customer, you can actually build things in patterns that have, I'll call them generic, but generic patterns that allow you to go horizontal. I think what we too often do is we get a little too focused on our buyer. And some of that's because we've built, say, vertical software, and that there's an important reason for that. But if you're trying to build for the horizontal buyer, you really want to say, how, what is this pattern that I'm looking at less than what is the exact solution that they need? And so if I look at the pattern more, it's like, okay, moment of data collection, moment of I got to produce something, and then I got to get that maybe into some system. And, and those patterns start to look like something you can actually produce. And for us, the way we do things is very design first. So it's take that idea, get a designer to produce it, because that's, of course, your most flexible moment. You're not going to, the moment it's coded, you're, you're way down the road. <laughs> but if it's in design phase, you then can share it with multiple parties and say, hey, does this actually, does this pattern work for you? That's at least one way we've thought about building software for that kind of more horizontal space. I want to dive into that a little bit more as I think about the interview that that's coming up with Kate Donahue from Pitch, because 
well, and I'm a designer, so you said the word, so obviously I'm going to hit on that. But the reason I even had heard of Kate Donahue, she was on a she was on another podcast that I was listening to called The First Hundred Days. What you do your first hundred days, you know, overseeing, you know, marketing and growth. I just listened, and she had said something at pitch. I can't remember. I'm terrible with numbers. All I know is that she was one of the early employees, and they had already, they already had like seven designers, and that blew my mind because. I got my design degree in 2007 at a time when you just had to advocate to even get anybody to hire a designer. And here she was talking about a very early stage company, Pitch, which makes remote online collaboration for presentations. Um, talking about design is is very first. And so you actually kind of started down this path of design seems to have a really integral role in the future of work. And you kind of hit on it. But how do you see design fitting in uh, in this new this new vision for for building work based products? You know, I, I think it actually goes back to that idea that even if you're not a designer, if you can start by using paper and actually take this remote world we're in, that is a beautiful place to spend some time is on paper. You actually get to walk away from your computer. You can go outside. You can go in your living room, and all of a sudden you're free from some of the the stranglehold that I think the computer can feel like these days. And so, but it speaks to this moment where it's like, okay, what are, what are the problems that I'm trying to solve? And let me start to just scratch out some solutions and maybe it's words, not design, but where I can start to draw the answer to my problem, all of a sudden I've probably started to create the right path. And so for us, I actually think I've loved to see design work, not only in product, but in saying, hey, let's let a designer start to speak into how should meetings go or how should uh, a presentation look and how should we set our you know set the stage for uh, certain things but really allowing designers to help cast vision because i think maybe that's the idea casting vision is difficult because you're trying to like use these words to influence people encourage them figure out where to go the moment you put that in on paper in a design that's tangible people are like got it that is exactly i totally get it now and so i think it, it's an opportunity to really uh, yeah, again, cast vision for the future by getting those ideas crystallized, but not having to have them fully built. It's it's really uh, that middle space where it definitely points the way, but it's not all the way done. Well, yeah. And I think you, you mentioned sort of like casting a vision, which I think designers have to, typically a designer, I think, has to be able to take a gray area where nothing exists, a problem space or a vision where there may not be no problem. It's just a vision of a new way of doing things and translate that into something that feels like it, 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 you could use it today. That again, I, I keep coming back to this idea that work itself is a generic concept. And you talked about you can build tools that are generalized for, for these other things. And what strikes me, if you have a compelling vision or you have you know, design first thinking, then you can build these generalized products that are flexible to, to sort of can opportunistically handle new types of work. That's what I think was where I want to go. It's like the type of work can almost change. You know, Formstack, you've been around for 15 years and you're still riding this wave that the industry, the world is vastly different today than it was when it started, yet you're still succeeding. And I think that comes from this idea that you have visions first, design that you're vetting. And then when things change, you're now in a better position to find ways to capture that rather than say, oh, we just designed for construction, the one vertical, and there's no way we can break out of that. 
So let's take a great example going back to that video idea. So let, let's think about using the pattern versus the way we probably normally think about the problem. So the way we normally think about it, if we're building video technology is we're like, well, we want make it easy for people to jump onto the video call. We want to get to higher quality video. We want to make sure audio is good. But if we think more about the pattern, the pattern is I'm trying to connect two people together or groups of people together. And when we think about the pattern, we can actually step back and say, how do I connect people? Well, what if we took a different approach and said, hey, when somebody's speaking, they actually maybe don't see video, they see moments of reaction. So maybe you can click the like button or the happy button or the this makes me excited button. And so instead of seeing people's faces, maybe I see emotions. And so imagine you're speaking now, instead of looking at 23 faces and you're like, I don't know what they're actually thinking because most of them are looking pretty serious. They're kind of expressing emotion instead all of a sudden it's like, oh, I know how, what people are responding to, which you can't feel these days like you would be able to in person. And so I think it's really, it really is just stepping back and trying to see what is the pattern that's happening? What is it I'm actually trying to do? Again, because we get, especially as we become, we become experts in our products, then we get real nitpicky about, well, let's refine this little piece here. Let's, let's enhance something. Even for us, it's all about data collection. So does that need to happen via typing into a form? Not at all. That could be text, that could be voice, that could be just about anything. So you're, you're saying, you think about the problem first, it's, it's, it could be technical. It's like, how, this is a problem. You think about in, in your world of data collection, you're looking at the problems with filling out forms. But if you bubble up to the pattern, what are people trying to do here? It's almost as if you open yourself up for greater possibilities. As you've overseen Formstack's growth and through these waves, how do you continue to do that? How do you continue to make sure that you're rising up? You know, it's almost in my mind, I like imagine like Formstack's like a submarine that's like now underwater, like knows where to go. But then every once I get to stick the periscope up and be like, hey, what's going on up here? How, how do you manage that on an ongoing basis? It is very challenging once you're in it, once you're in the water. You're, you're just moving and you can sometimes have blind spots. How do you try to, well, at least try to, to, to keep that from happening? We get too excited about often the, the, what we do and, and we think that it's going to last forever. And even for us, if I really look back, although at the end of the day, a drag and drop form builder is still the, the core of a lot of our product, it moved from day one to thinking about, I'm just building a form to eventually thinking about the person filling out the form and the logic involved. So it's a, a mini piece of workflow to, I need to get data into backend systems and integrations to really heavy workflow moments where multiple people are participating. And so even if you look at our product, it kind of looks the same as it did 15 years ago, but realistically underneath a lot of different stuff is happening. And even for us, we recognized at some point about three years ago that although organic growth is still important, we could really accelerate our story through M&A. And so that's where we went and actually bought away into document generation, e-signature, and we'll continue to look at opportunities forward. But it's all about saying, you know what, the form five years from now is gonna be the most commoditized thing in the world just by itself. And so we, we do need to get kind of over that. So the recognizing it, I suppose though, is far too often Oh, growth isn't going quite as I want it to. What's the problem? And that's when we finally dig into it. If we could get better at saying, getting ahead of that curve, I actually think we'd be far better off. At too often, it's the bad things start to happen, and that's when I recognize there's a problem. So let me let me dig into that a little bit because I'm curious. How do you balance the reactive, being reactive versus being sort of thought leading? So it's always easy to look 
uh, I always I shouldn't ask questions and let me let me add some where my head's at. It's easy to look back at say like a blockbuster and say like here's where they went wrong and that's where Netflix took. But in the moment, it it's not quite so simple. You're actually trying different things and you don't know what's going to stick. It's silly now to look back and think, gosh, they were way off thinking streaming wasn't ever going to take off. But it's really easy for us to say now. But I imagine for for you leading a tech company, it has to be challenging to make sense of it. What is something worth looking at? What is something that, hey, we need to look at this versus we need to make the future. So we're going to like chart this. And I know people are doing it this way, but we're going to go here. How do you balance that? Or maybe how do you even, uh, you know, I guess, handle that and, and sort of communicate that to your team or bring that balance into your product line? If you think about blocks, Buster, there's no way in some boardroom and some conference room, someone would have been able to make an impassioned enough case to say, basically, you need to bet the entire business on going digital. We, we can all look back and say that now, but that was a huge, it still would have been a huge risk because realistically, they didn't know digital that well. So you have to hire new people who think different, like that's a big deal. I would say though, for us, thankfully, we're not in spaces that feel like they just get crushed overnight. And in fact, I, I think there is this nice balance of if you're in B2B software, in an odd way, we, whereas we feel advanced most of the time, <laughs> it actually moves a lot slower than consumer software. And so we've got a little bit more flexibility. For us, we kind of think about investment allocation. So simply, let's make sure that say 20% of our investment is purely on innovation. So building brand, you know, net new things, brand new technology, brand new software, really trying to forge new paths. And then you've probably got that bottom 20%, which is just technical debt and health and you know those basic things of that are really just catching up in a way. And then that middle investment, which is usually, you know, probably multi-pronged, but ultimately keep the trains running at a pretty decent pace. And so to me, it's more about at times, I think you can dial that innovation item up or dial it down at times when you need to be maybe more profitable or something. But that, that's been successful for us is not getting too focused on, oh, we've got to bet the farm on this one thing, but let's just make sure we do have a, a chunk of money and time and people really thinking about the future. Because if we don't, then we're definitely going to get behind uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I like that breakdown. I like that you mentioned that it may not be the same all the time. And, I, and it's hard for us to sit there and tell anybody what's what's right for the right moment. Only you overseeing your business and your industry can know when is the time to dial back or focus on profits, or otherwise focus on growth. But staying at this upper level, this sort of macro level, how do you see the macro trend that we're in with work right now? Let me Let me, let me clarify that. It was really challenging for me to make sense of the future of work last year. It was so easy to just start saying, well, everybody's going to be remote. And there's all these surveys saying, oh, I always want to be remote. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, because it's scary out there. I don't think anybody really wants to. Now I'm starting to see people like itch in. They want to get back to the office somewhat. And so it was really untrustworthy. So I found it really challenging in 2020 to say, this is the future of work. Now that we're coming out of it, I, I partly think a bit of the clouds have cleared, the fog's lifted, but I'm still curious from someone like yourself, what's the story that, that you're in? Like, what, what chapter do you feel like we're in in the future of work? Is it in a sea change or are we just sort of like making incremental changes? Or do you think there's something really like vastly different going on right now? Well, I do think we're in a strange time where it's clear that really strange things are happening, but it's hard to even pinpoint what they are. But I will say there's a couple trends right now that feel like they're related to the future of work that are important. So yes, 
offices will reopen, but all of a sudden everyone realizes they can get a job anywhere, not just in their city, not just near. Partly what drove them to us maybe in the past was, yeah, they were kind of close too. So great employees, yes, but that connection made it easier. And so I think even where we don't want it to happen, we're going to need to embrace more and more remote work. I think the hybrid works really well, but I, I think you're going to see that as a continued challenge. And so to me, onboarding, for instance, is a huge trend that I think we need to see people pick up on. So imagine you need to hire somebody now who you've never met before, and they don't get to go through those typical systems of walking in the door, greeting people quite in the same way. And so you really need a core system that brings them along for probably those first 90 days, because that, that's how you set the stage of your culture. But to me, the biggest challenge is all about what I'll call community. So the reason you and I probably love still going into the office when we can is just being around people. It is draining for me personally, it's not for everybody, but it's draining for me to, to not be around people. And so I've been thinking about from the future of work perspective, how can we start to create maybe communities that don't have to be dependent on your business, but are a little bit better than the co-working space? So imagine, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, in most cities, I can go join a community of people that have some similar characteristics, part of maybe B2B SaaS or maybe a handful of components that bring them together so that there is a place I can go. And maybe my, you know, headquarters is technically hours away, cities, states away. But there are places where I can go just be with people so that I have this balance of, yep, I'm in video a lot. That's how I connect with my work community. But I have this balance of I can go to lunch with people. I can talk about things. I can talk about the world. But really thinking about how can businesses embrace that and maybe even come together and partner together to create more of those so that teams across the, the U.S., across the globe, eventually have spaces to go and, and work. That's interesting. So the co-working space, I mean, I know it's very it has a slant towards tech. But if I hear you right, you're almost imagining, you know, what if these co-working spaces are actually coupled with communities of like-minded professionals that are deeper than just like, oh, you're in tech, oh, I'm in tech too. I mean, we all know that being a salesperson in tech is not the same as being an engineer in tech. You may share that, but you know, one's going to be really loud on the phone and the other needs heads down working time. So is that, do I have that right? Do you think maybe that that's like, maybe it's a future you hope emerges? Or let's take sales, for example. If you, if you know sales, there's this idea of the challenger model. And you may like it or you may li not like it, whatever. But let's imagine you like it and a series of companies embrace that and say, hey, we're actually going to all do training together. So or at least 80% of the how to do the challenger sale sales training, we're going to make available to anybody anywhere across the US. And so if you want to partner with us, we'll get that done. Now, of course, there's specific product training that only you can do, but maybe there's ways to embrace working together that actually you can still capture uh, some of that in-person moment, even if you have people all over the US or all over the world. That's really interesting. And I think we've actually covered the community trend on the podcast. I think, you know, we were even talking about before the pandemic, but I, but the way that you're describing it, it's even richer uh, than I think it was before, which to me is, is, is interesting too, because I, I, I keep coming back to the generic concept of work. But then there's this opportunity to make things that are a little bit more community driven, more specific to to shared characteristics of people at that. So it's almost to me like future of work sounds very vague, generic, maybe robotic. But the way you're describing it is almost like there's actually going to be more richness involved in the way we might work as a result of it. Well, yeah, my hope is that there are ways. I mean, a great example is I, I, I actually used to work in a co-working space. 
And I did find this benefit of I had a, I happened to have a handful of people around me who had startups that they were working on. And so over lunch, that's who I'd go hang out with. And I found that it actually did create a little bit of balance. It was people I could still talk to about the future and building software and stuff like that. Not necessarily my specific day-to-day -day business problems, but it was still enough to kind of keep me thinking about the right things. Whereas in my office, I was on video all, all the time. And, and, and that connection is okay, but it's not always great. And, and you know that you can't kind of get the depth there. So I think if we can find ways to embrace that there are people, even if you aren't working again in the city where your, your company is, there are likely people not that far from you who have some pretty similar characteristics, trying to solve some similar things. And if you can connect together, you might create uh, a lot more sustainability for people. That's the thing I'm thinking about is how do you help people continue to feel good? Because I think the thing we're also seeing right now is people are just tired of the way they had to work. And so they're quitting and going to other jobs just for change. That's it. Like they probably still loved their job actually, if, if they really had to think about it, but they just, they were like, I need a life change. This is the answer. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's, it's, it's uh, definitely uh, affected a lot of companies and we, we definitely have, I don't think I've seen the end of it, but this has been a great conversation. Is there any, anything else sort of on the future of work or anything that you're working on that you want to make sure that we cover? I think the other thing that, you know, I might just mention is, is in the world right now, we seem to, we have this opportunity and challenge, I suppose, of there's a lot, a lot, a lot of capital going into businesses. And so the beauty of that is that I actually think that will drive some really good innovation. But I think it's something to probably realize at some point that's going to cause us other challenges. And, I, and, and as I still think about the future of work, it may actually cause an overinflation for a time in salaries. And so all of a sudden as businesses who maybe don't have the, that extra capital because we haven't raised it, we really need to think about how do we innovate more efficiently? It's not 10 more people or 100 more people maybe, it's just how do we take problems and try to whittle them down to the really core basic challenge and, and problem and, and try to solve that in a real MVP way and, and get it out and kind of get it moving because we may not always have the cash to compete against as much that's kind of getting dumped out there right now. But yeah, I think there's some really cool opportunities in the future of work. And I think looking back five years from, from now, we'll see some really uh, innovative stuff. What you just mentioned is like the most Midwest perspective. I, I, I'm with you. I even say that myself. I've noticed even in Indianapolis, there's been just an enormous amount of capital that's gotten poured back into this ecosystem in, in this calendar year. And I read about in other cities. And I think you bring up another good point that ties to something you said earlier about you can hire anywhere. Well, what does that mean for you know the local economies that have a lower salary range? And they're the ones suffering, getting people, you know, stolen from it. So tell me a little bit more about what's behind what, what, what you're sort of you're conveying there with better ways of working. Is it, is it a way to sort of combat that? Or is it more about companies changing the way they innovate so that that amount of capital isn't as necessary? Tell me a little more what you mean there. There's maybe two things I'm thinking about. At least one of them is, let, let's take this example of, let's imagine because of too much capital, too many people get paid high salaries. At some point that has to recycle into something. And that something ultimately is probably prices increasing on software because that's the only way you're ever ultimately gonna pay for the people. Well, all of a sudden you've got an inflation problem. And by the way, economics, macro and micro in college, I'd never understood. So I'm, I'm making it up right now. If anybody's listening, I don't really understand economics, but all of a sudden it speaks to something it's like we're not used to. We're used to prices that can stay pretty stable 
And so I, I think part of that innovation is saying, how do we back out and look, try to look at macro problems? Because we don't have to do that most times. The, the macro stays in a pretty steady state, but if we assume it's not going to be, we might need to think about pricing and we might need to think about, do we actually need to go buy a business to really solve an important problem because it's uh, we're not going to be able to innovate fast enough. I mean, that's that's probably one path for thinking about it. And maybe even a, a business who's not used to raising capital may need to. But for those who say, yeah, but I still don't want to raise capital. It's not me. I don't want the dilution. I think for me, it, it's really saying, how do I build maybe teams that aren't just based on product, but teams around the business to say, take an audit of this thing that we do, how we price, how we hire people, and help us find more innovative ways to do it, more efficient ways to do it. Because you might actually find that just putting a small, quick, could just be a 90-day focus on things, all of a sudden you are able to pull out really valuable, either save time, save money, faster delivery. And so I think it's really just saying, I probably have the resources I need. I usually think about hiring the next person, but let's assume I can't. Um, how do I just use the team who's probably innovative enough if I can just give them a little space and time to say, hey, go take a look at this thing and tell me if it could be done better. better. And so I think it's just that idea that we do actually have a lot more resource than we think most days, and we just don't use it well to, to innovate and to find new ways to do things. To me, it seems like a perfect ending to this, which is almost like a reflection on what it means to do really good work and make sure that you're always you know, re-examining that rather than just you know, adding more resources. How do you, the future of work might be actually examining how you're using resources a lot more frequently to find those hidden opportunities. Thanks for joining us as we kick off our latest series. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.